Hello, and welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Counter, and I am the editor in chief of Fine Biometrics, where we are celebrating our 18th annual year in review event a comprehensive analysis of the state of biometrics and digital identity, featuring interviews, industry survey data, featured articles, and of course, special episodes of the ID Talk podcast. That's why on this special year in review episode of ID Talk, I am pleased to present Find Biometrics and Mobile ID World founder Peter O'Neill in conversation with Dean Nichols, Vice President of Global Marketing for Jumio. The conversation begins on the theme of user experience and the rise of fraud, with Nichols sharing some fascinating findings from the Jumio Holiday Fraud Report. The conversation goes on to delve into topics around demographic bias and biometrics, current issues around privacy, and the importance of liveness detection, before taking a look ahead to what's next in biometrics and digital onboarding. It's an enlightening conversation with an expert in one of the hottest areas of digital identity. So without further ado, here is Jumio's Dean Nichols on the ID Talk podcast. Welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter O'Neill and I am the founder of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. And I am joined today by my good friend, Dean Nichols, the vice president on uh, global marketing at Zoomio. Welcome, Dean. Hello, Peter. Good morning, good afternoon to you and your <laughs> listeners. Great. Listen, I wanted to start off today's conversation uh, uh, focusing in on user experience and, and the overall rise in fraud that we're seeing. And the first question, how has the coronavirus pandemic affected the needs of organizations that rely on identity proofing and remote onboarding? Well, I'd say it's impacted them in a pretty big way. So with with Corona, enterprises really have no option but to allow their customers to open up digital accounts uh, online, right? And so what's interesting, interesting about that is that, you know, last year when customers were trying to open an account online, at least in, in the banking space, more than half of them had to go visit a branch office, right? Well, obviously, banks um, have had to adjust and other institutions have had to adjust because their branch presence aren't open for business. So increasingly, these these enterprises need to figure out a way how they can onboard, and not just onboard, but even authenticate um, customers um, with some high level of uh, identity assurance, but keep the experience really, really easy for the end users. And so what that's meant is for a lot of organizations, they've had to speed up the timetable for their digital transformation efforts. And what they were planning to do in three years, they've done in three months. Right. So it's had a pretty, pretty colossal impact on most modern enterprise. Yeah, quite remarkable. And and even before the pandemic, we're seeing a huge demand of frictionless end user experiences to help curb abandonment rates in particular. What is being done now to ensure uh, users complete the sign up process in a secure and efficient manner? I think there's a few areas. I think, first of all, more and more um, companies realize they have to simplify the user experience, the onboarding journey. Um, They have to reduce the number of steps. They really have to put the customer at the center. The more steps you include as part of that enrollment process, you know, the higher your abandonment rates are going to be, right? So it's all about um, simplifying the journey, making it more intuitive, and explaining why you're asking them, for example, a picture of their government-issued ID and, and maybe a corroborating selfie. 
Um, so that that's one area where I think there's been way more intense scrutiny over the process itself and the user journey. Another area is really on more and more companies like like Jumio are investing pretty heavily in AI and machine learning, um, and they're doing that really to to expedite the process to make it faster, but also to improve the quality and the accuracy of it as well. And I think another thing which is kind of interesting, which you brought up because you said, how do you do it in a secure and efficient manner? Security is also, I think, some of the folks that have rushed to to kind of digitally transform their onboarding experience, sometimes they haven't really fully thought out security. They haven't thought about how data is getting transferred, what data privacy and encryption protocols are at play. Right. So I think more and more of our prospects are starting to ask those questions um, as part of, you know, we certainly want to make it easy and intuitive for the end user. But we have to when we do this, we have to do it in a super security and highly protected way and, and that protects the user's uh, data privacy. Let's dive a little deeper there. Uh, so you mentioned new account fraud and and account takeover fraud. They're both growing uh, right now, um, especially from from everybody working at home and the and the ongoing trend of digital transformation uh, and remote channels everywhere. So what do these fraud threats mean for businesses that require digital onboarding now? Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is there are a variety of different types of, of fraud, right? And so, in fact, we're about to launch our our fourth annual um, holiday fraud report. And we actually found some pretty interesting trends there. We actually found that new account fraud has actually declined year over year, which is somewhat counterintuitive. So the, the fraud rates that we typically see when, when just based on the government issued ID hovers just a little bit less than 1.5%. But what we are seeing is that fraud at the selfie level, right? Um, that fraud is probably 5x the, the number of ID-based um, uh, fraud. So that is interesting. And so again, if you think about the way that we at Jumio and there's other players in our space that do it the same way, um, they do identity verifications. They start by looking at a government issue ID and then they ask the user to provide a selfie, right? And then what we, what we do is we compare the picture in the selfie to the picture on the ID but we only do that face mapping, that face checking once we validated the, that the ID is genuine. So what we're seeing is, you know, there's less fraud at, at the ID level, but there's more people trying to perpetrate fraud with the selfie. And so that might mean they use someone else's ID and their and their selfie, or they use a picture of a picture, or they use even a deep fake video. And so what's interesting is that uh, companies need to be super mindful of the security and the fraud checks that they have in place. And if they're only just, for example, just requiring a government issued ID, but not the corroborating selfie, they're actually exposing themselves to quite a bit of fraud. Account takeover is absolutely taking off, though. And this is really more on for existing accounts where people are um, getting access to people's uh, user credentials and able to log into existing accounts, primarily through a method called credential stuffing. And so you can thank the dark web. You can thank all the, the daily amounts of data breaches where fraudsters can now quite easily get um, usernames and passwords. And then all they have to do is through credential stuffing and bots, essentially, if this person used this username and password on this site, I wonder if they use the same username and password on these 20,000 other sites. And eventually they're going to get in because people use the same password, right? So what we're finding is that 
all of a sudden organizations are rethinking their whole approach to just relying simply on a username and password to let customers log into their accounts. And, and there's really kind of two forms of logins that probably organizations need to think about. There's, for example, if I, I have a bank account and I just want to check my balance, that's one type of transactions that's probably relatively low risk and maybe you're okay just relying on a username and password. But if you're allowing the customer to transfer funds, if you're allowing them to wire um, the money from account over here to some bank account here in the Cayman Islands, or even just doing a password reset, which can be highly um, dangerous in terms of account takeover, that you may want to use a step-up form of authentication like leveraging biometrics to perform that. Boy, again, these trends had been building, but boy, they're, they're so magnified now. Digital transformation is more than a buzzword. It's today's business imperative. As businesses pursue their digital agenda, enabling trust remotely is a key concern. Is the person behind a transaction really who they claim to be? Should you trust them? Jumio's end-to-end EKYC and identity verification solutions help companies onboard customers remotely and fight financial crime. With Jumio's unified platform, businesses can establish trust at account opening and maintain trust along the way. Using AI, biometrics, and machine learning, Jumio increases identity assurance, monitors high-risk transactions, and delivers user experiences that are as simple as taking a selfie. Employees, customers, users, whoever the X is in a business, Jumio helps businesses know, then trust. Discover the Jumio KYX platform at jumio.com KYX. And now, back to the podcast. Thanks to meeting the user experience and the anti-fraud demands that we've just been chatting about, the past few years have seen the digital identity landscape mature into a complex and nuanced space. How would you characterize the roles of identity proofing, user authentication, and what Gartner characterizes as identity affirmation in the current identity tech arena? And do you see these processes ever becoming unified? Yeah, that's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> so let's talk about Gartner and their definitions. So there are the, the steps and the tools the company used to verify that someone is who they claim to be when they're creating new accounts, right? And I'm, I'm gonna talk a little bit about identity proofing and, and identity affirmation. Authentication happens after the fact, right? So it happens after someone's been given an account, they've been given their credentials, and what are um, customers doing to kind of lock down that authentication? So, but let, let me describe what how Gartner defines these terms. First of all, identity proofing and affirmation. Identity proofing are really any tools that provide confidence in the genuine presence of the identity owner. And those are, those are Gartner's words verbatim. Identity affirmation, however, are tools that add confidence but cannot by themselves provide identity proofing because they do not prove that the individual claiming the identity is authentic. And so this distinction is really important. So for a lot of companies that are looking for an identity proofing solution, there's a lot of noise in the market, right? And what's what's interesting with Gartner is they said there's really only one valid form of identity proofing, and this is actually in their latest market guide for identity proofing and affirmation, they said the only reliable way is leverage is what they call document centric 
identity proofing, and that's where you're you're asking the user to provide a, a picture of their government-issued ID, which could be a passport or a, a driver's license, and then corroborating that with a, a real selfie. There's a, a number of other solutions out there that play in the identity affirmation space. At least that's how Gartner would define them. And those are tools such as um, if you're pinging a credit bureau, right, or some kind of third-party database, those are what Gartner now refers to as data-centric identity affirmation tools because they by themselves cannot provide a high level of assurance that the person is who they claim to be. There's a, a number of other types of tools that fall into this category as well. There's, you know, when you're starting to look at someone's email age or the phone number and trying to assess how long they've had that, these are obviously important fraud signals, but by themselves, they cannot provide a high level of identity assurance. And so what's important to understand is Gardner's not saying that you should only using identity proofing, but they said they do say that if you're going to try to prove that the person is definitively who they say they are, you need to do identity proofing and then layer on top of that additional fraud signals from these identity affirmation tools, right? In fact, what's interesting about that is they actually put out a prediction, what they call a, a strategic planning assumption, and they said by 2022, 80% of organizations will be using document-centric identity proofing as part of their onboarding workflows. And that's an increase from about 30% today. That's a massive sea change, right? Going from um, 30% to 80% in just two years. It really is an incredible shift. And so when we talk about how complex the identity landscape is becoming, my, my mind automatically goes to AI, which you've already mentioned a couple of times, which is obviously a very powerful tool in the world of identity. But that power demands responsibility, especially when it comes to dealing with diverse populations. So the question is, what is the state of demographic bias in AI and biometrics and what can be done to solve it? Yeah, so I, I think the reason this is starting to take effect, obviously you have the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, but increasingly, I mean, you hear about facial recognition and you hear about demographic bias. And um, unfortunately, facial recognition has given um, what we do in terms of identity verification kind of a, a black eye, right? And there, there are some fundamental differences, but any company, that is building AI models, there's always a chance that demographic bias, whether it be based on gender or ethnicity, can creep into the AI models, right? And so the, the ways that you help mitigate against that bias, and I've come up with three, is one is you really want to make sure that you're dealing with large data sets. And so why are you dealing with large data sets? Well, you want to make sure that when you build your AI models, it's based on representative data. Right. So, for example, if we're building models um, based on historical IDs and, um, you know, say selfies uh, from and we're only examining kind of the populations that are in Florida. Right. And then we develop our models based on that and we have enough data to make some assessments. And then you try to take that model and apply it to Poland. Right. Where the IDs are different. The, um, the characteristics of, of the faces can be different. And so you just can't do it, right? So having large data sets can help you mitigate um, in, in large measure some of the historic bias that goes into the models. Another thing that happens, especially in our space of identity verification, is that there are a number of providers out there who are starting out. They're, they're newbies, right? And they don't have, you know, 300 million transactions to look at, which, which we do. And so what they ultimately end up doing is they end up buying blocks of transactions and identities off the web. You can buy you can buy IDs off the web, and they start building their training models 
based on those smaller data sets, often which have some tagging that's been involved. Some of that tagging can influence the, the algorithm themselves. And so all of our data is based on actual real-world production data. And again, it's based on massive data sets from all over the globe. So we make sure that we have properly um, you know, high representative models going on. And then the last category, I think that's super important when it comes to mitigating demographic bias is, is what I'm going to call human tagging. So because we are um, a hybrid solution, though we also off, offer an automated solution, but we do have the benefit of having some human agents in the loop uh, of the process, and we have had them in, in place for the last 10 years. What they're able to do is when the AI algorithms get it wrong, they can actually correct and make the right verification decision. And when they do that, they're essentially helping the algorithms learn. And essentially, we get smarter and smarter through that iterative process. Now, obviously, we also have a whole set of solutions that are based purely on AI. And so we don't have the benefit of human review. But given that we have you know 10 years of experience in that space, we our algorithms have had the chance to learn better and get better faster because of that human interaction and course correction. Now, transparency is clearly a big part of accountability and identity solutions, which of course makes me think of a continuing ongoing discussion in our industry, and that is privacy. With biometrics continuing to proliferate across our daily online interactions and the rise of privacy legislation in the past years, how have user attitudes changed around privacy and biometrics? Yeah, well, maybe I'll, I'll tackle the second question first. So I think most people are getting um, more and more comfortable with biometrics. And we probably owe a, a large measure of thanks to Apple and Samsung through their face ID and their facial recognition in that now people are comfortable unlocking their phones using their face, right? So we've, we've benefited from, from that, that comfort level, right, in, in doing what we do. Um, What's also becoming increasingly important, I think, is contactless authentication, right? So not having to touch a surface. And so now when you have more and more um, identity verification happening remotely and using face-based authentication, um, that's also helped the cause as well. And so I, I think there's growing comfort there, though there's always obviously growing concern around their data privacy. And so one of the things that I think is important for our business customers to understand is that they do need to be aware of GDPR. They do need to be aware of CCPA, you know, the California Consumer Privacy Act. And there it's all about being really transparent about the kind of data that you're collecting. If obviously if you're sharing that data with any third parties or selling that data to third parties, you need to be transparent about that as well. But when it comes to companies in our space, we collect an awful lot of PII information as part of the identity verification process. Right. And I think what's imperative is that we provide all of that, essentially that corpus of data to our customers. And it's our business customers that need to determine how long do they want to keep that data for? Do they want to keep it for six months or a year? Or do they essentially want to delete it right after they do an identity verification? But business customers should have the right to choose how long that data is being collected and retained. And when they want it wiped, knowing that's being wiped from all locations. Right. So that they can meet those compliance standards. So part of it is the, the good news is that customers are getting more uh, consumers are getting more and more comfortable um, with biometrics. But on the flip side, they're also demanding, tell me what you're doing with my data. Where is it being housed? Are you selling it to any third parties? Right. And so 
that that's a tricky balancing act for our customers and for us, right? And I think the key thing there is to be transparent and give a lot of flexibility to our business customers. Establishing trust remotely is a key concern as business increasingly moves online. Jumio uses the power of AI to automate identity verification so businesses can quickly and securely onboard new users and unlock existing accounts. With face-based biometrics and liveness detection, Jumio identity verification is as easy for users as taking a selfie and strong enough to deter and detect fraud. Identity verification is part of the complete Jumio KYX platform with award-winning solutions designed to establish trust at account opening and maintain trust along the way. Employees, customers, users, whoever the X is in a business, Jumio helps businesses know, then trust. Learn more at Jumio.com. Loved by users, loved by fraudsters. And now, back to the podcast. 2020 was a big year for Jumio. Uh, you launched your KYX platform, and with the acquisition of Beam, you achieved a world first, an end-to-end KYC and AML platform. What are the implications of these milestones when we consider the digital onboarding space at large? Yeah, and so well, we're, we're thrilled with both of those announcements, and maybe I'll just provide a little bit more color around each. So. The KYX platform is really the Know Your Anything platform. And so I think historically, many, many folks may have associated with us being a point solution. Increasingly, we're becoming much more of a platform. And so that platform is based on a, you know, a layer that has to do with security and built on AI and um, a great kind of user experience. But increasingly, we're not just providing uh, identity verification. We're now being giving customers the ability to tap into address services. And so when they type in a given address, we can check their name and see if that address, in fact, does belong to them. Um, we're looking at additional third-party fraud signals as well. We're already providing AML services, what's often known as PEPs and sanctions screening. And what Beam allows us to do is actually do um, much more comprehensive transaction monitoring. So this obviously happens after an account has been established. And but what Beam does is it helps regulated industries. And by the way, it's not just banks, but it's it's people that are in the crypto space. It's even people in the, the home sharing space, right? Any target that potentially could be leveraged for money laundering is a, a place where we can use Beam. And what Beam does is really two parts of their platform. One is around transaction monitoring and looking for suspicious activity in a flow of transactions. So if you have a bank account, you normally have your deposits and your withdrawals. And so we're looking for any kind of anomalous um, behavior that might be a signal um, of money laundering or financial crime. Um, we also, part of that solution includes case management and investigations so that any of these transactions can be flagged. Um, it can be sent to a back office and those teams can then look at those transactions to see if it warrants further attention and diligence. So one of the benefits of this kind of overall platform is it really does start with new account onboarding and it goes all the way through authentication and transaction monitoring. So it's really full life cycle compliance. And again, to the best of our knowledge, we're the, the first and only player that provides that full life cycle experience for our customers, primarily in, in those regulated spaces. 
Well, congratulations on that. It, it certainly was a great year for your company. And uh, the next thing I'd like to, to chat about is the liveness detection. It's, it's become a major differentiator for technologies that leverage especially uh, facial biometrics. And what is the role of liveness detection for Jumio and why is it important? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because we're, we're clearly in, a, in an arms race kind of with, with the fraudsters. It used to be that we could get by by just asking someone for a picture of their ID. And then we realized that people were using fake IDs, so then we needed to add in the selfie component. And we were the first to do that. And then what's happened now that we require a selfie is that the fraudsters have figured out how to spoof um, the selfie. And again, the spoof is really what we call a, a presentation attack, right? And a presentation attack is really any attempt made by a fraudster to intentionally defeat our, kind of the biometric security measures by presenting non-live biometric data, right? So for example, a fraudster might use a, a printed or a digital photograph or a video or a mask, right? To either impersonate a targeted victim or to assert like a false identity, right? And that's that kind of attack is what we call a spoof, right? So in order to defend against spoof, and by the way, they're, they're getting increasingly easy to perpetrate, right? They're um, surprisingly easy, <laughs> thanks thanks to the dark web. Is, and that's why we've incorporated liveness detection, right? So the whole point of liveness detection is to make sure that the person who is creating a new account is in fact physically present and the person who they're claiming to be, right? And so there are both passive and active forms of liveness detection. And we're in the process of offering both, which is, I think, a, a real, um, it's somewhat needed because in, in some, we have some customers that rely on an SDK, right? So we're built within their app. And so their active and passive detection is crucial. Um, by the way, the difference between the two is active means you're asking them to do, do something kind of overtly, like turn their head or position their face within an oval Whereas passive doesn't require an overt action. So that's kind of the subtle difference. But there are some some kind of a capture methods like API. We have customers that use this for, and that's the only way you can um, really assess liveness is through a more passive form of liveness detection. But the fact is, this is obviously something that's core to our solution, and it's something that we absolutely are investing in uh, this year and next to really bring it to a kind of. Um, so that it's, it's absolutely world-class and it already is world-class. Great. Now, uh, sort of as we summarize here, I'd like to get your opinion on the future a little bit. And and how do you see KYX and digital onboarding in general evolve in the coming years, given all the acceleration we're seeing right now? What can we, what can we expect to see down the road? I think you're going to see a few trends. I think one of the trends you're going to see is probably continued consolidation in the identity verification space, right? So more and more um, companies like us are are getting acquired. Others are are growing their, their portfolio. Um, and so I think you're going to see more consolidation. I do think you're going to see more of a focus on orchestration. And this is, again, one of the key trends that Gartner sees as well. Um, they see orchestration as being a critical decision factor when people are evaluating between vendors. And so what, when we're talking about orchestration, they're saying really what we're talking about is me as an enterprise, I want to have the ability to determine what sets of identity services happen and in what order they happen. So, for example, what I mean by that is when someone's filling out an online form, they want most institutions want to have as little friction as possible. So pinging 
you know, credit bureau or looking at the typing speed in which that form is completed or checking the email age, right? A lot of that can be done via API to third parties, right? And so they may want to do some of those very low friction approaches first and then develop a score and then look to do identity verification based on those scores, right? But there's a, a certain workflow that's optimal that provides th probably the right amount of friction but essentially bifurcates the kind of your would-be customers into pools based on how risky they appear, right? Based on a whole variety of fraud signals. So we think orchestration increasingly is going to be important. I think the ingestion of more and more fraud signals, so not just relying on a, a government issue ID and a selfie, but taking that and then pairing that with identity affirmation tools, right? To provide a more complete picture of that online user is going to become important. And that also includes um, potentially pinging other databases as well. So it's getting more sophisticated, it's getting more involved, and it's getting a little bit more bespoke, right, based on the needs of the organization. Well, th thank you so much, Dean. And how can listeners uh, get in touch with you to learn more about all the things we've been talking about today? They can just uh, visit our website at uh, www.jumio.com, or if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm more than happy to engage. Um, hopefully that was helpful, but I appreciate the time, Peter. Well, and thank you, Dean, for being part of this latest episode of ID Talk Podcast. And so concludes our interview with Dean Nichols, Vice President of Global Marketing for Jumio. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, visit jumio.com. And to dig deeper into the Fine Biometrics year in review, visit findbiometrics.com. I'd like to thank Dean for joining us on today's episode, and thank you to Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World founder Peter O'Neill for conducting the interview. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk podcast. Mm -hmm.